0: Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege you've given us to gather together, and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, and I pray as we look at this passage today that you'd uh, help me to understand and relay uh, exactly what you intended, Lord God, that you would use your word mightily, and that we would respond, Lord God, and we would uh, respond in a way that you are pleased and are, are glorified with. So we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and uh, we are in chapter 3 in Colossians, and we're moving through it pretty quickly, and I felt uh, it would be good for us to be reminded of the Christmas story as we approach this Christmas season. And so we're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 1, and if you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And we're going to see uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to be given the account of the birth of Jesus Christ from God's perspective, the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that ultimately uh, why he came brought about uh, the reality of God with us, as we'll see. Now, the context for the book of Matthew, just to share briefly a couple things about it before we get to our message but it's been uh, understood throughout, even though the author's not named, that Matthew is the author. Uh, Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, brought forth the scriptures here. And we know that Matthew, or Levi, his formal name, was a tax collector. He was a sinner called to repentance by Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 9, 5, chapter 9 and Luke 5, we see that Jesus calls him to follow him. And he does. And he does. Now, the Gospel of Matthew has uh, a myriad of Old Testament quotes in it, and it seems to uh, uh, serve as a bridge between the Old Testament scriptures pointing to Christ to what Christ would do. As we see here, this book is about Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews who brought salvation. Now, Matthew is the presentation of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, and within that, his presentation, we see his teaching And yet, this book is also about his rejection and opposition, the rejection and opposition to King Jesus. This rejection culminating in God, what he preordained, the crucifixion, which would bring about salvation. The salvation rejected by his own people, which is now offered to the nation's... Now, in chapter 1, uh, from verse 1, this, is, this book says, Matthew, it says it's about Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. More specifically, Jesus Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant. He was in the line of David in which there would be a king ruling forever. And secondly, he fulfills the Abrahamic kind of covenant in which, through Abraham's seed, all the nations would be blessed. And then we have the genealogy on Joseph's side, which proves that he is the legal, has the legal right to the throne of David. But also, as mentioned, we see that, uh, he is, uh, of Mary, as we will see today, as we'll see today. So again, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter one, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 and 25, where we will see God with us. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Here we see, first of all, uh, Joseph's dilemma, and he's got a dilemma in his hands. But before we get to that, notice, first of all, this is about... The birth of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, or is thus, really, literally, is, is thus. This is what it is. This is the true story concerning Jesus Christ. Now we know Jesus, as we'll see later on, is his human name. It was given to him at birth, as we'll see. And it is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. And that means literally Yahweh is salvation, The Lord is salvation. That's his name. When you think of Jesus, it means the Lord is salvation. And the term Christ is a title. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah, which meant anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the king of kings. He is the one who would sit on the throne forever on David's throne. And so here we have now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. And I mentioned already that there was the genealogy and then if you look back in verse 16, it says, And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary. You see, that's the line in which Jesus came, which made him in line rightfully for the king. But he was the husband of Mary, who was by whom was born Jesus. That's of Mary, who is called the Christ. And so springing from this genealogy, we have a very important account of uh, Jesus' birth. And notice, Mary is found to be with child and unknown by Joseph, but the child is by the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And notice we see this, it's the birth of Jesus Christ, when his mother Mary, when his mother Mary, We see here that Jesus had a physical mother to which he was born. And we see the account when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She literally, she she was found having a belly. That's really what it says. She was found, she, she was starting to show. She was found to be with child. With child but we'll see it was by the Holy Spirit. And here it says the birth of Jesus Christ was as false when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Well, what does that mean? What does this betrothal mean? What is this period? Well, we know, although it's somewhat like an engagement, kind of we have an idea of that, but actually it was quite different than our engagements. Uh, In the Old Testament time and in Jesus' time, marriage had two stages. There was the betrothal, betrothal period and the wedding itself. Now, the betrothal was instigated by two families or two individuals, and it was considered a contract for marriage. And it was so binding that you would have to be divorced to have it separated. They were considered to be husband and wife in the betrothal period. Now, this period was usually about 12 months, or it could be shorter. And it was important to note that one element of this betrothal period was a protection for the husband and for the wife, in which the fidelity of the wife would be proven over that time. Indeed, we see this idea, Paul uses it metaphorically, concerning how he uh, put together the Corinthian church with the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation by bringing the gospel. You can look at that, 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, you can listen. 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And we went through 2 Corinthians on our Wednesday night study. And we saw that Paul was graciously responding to the false accusations of the Corinthians that had been brought about through the, through the slander of those false apostles. And within that, the apostle Paul's concerned about these Corinthians. And he says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. They were saying he's foolish, basically. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that is Christ, that i uh, to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin, but I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of a devotion to Christ. Paul is saying metaphorically, I arranged your marriage with Christ. I brought the truth to you about your supposed salvation, but I'm concerned you're not a pure virgin. I'm concerned Satan has led you astray, and you've committed adultery with these false apostles. That's really what he's saying. And so back to this idea of betrothal, it has the idea of protection. It was a period in in which uh, one would be observed to see if they're truly faithful. Obviously, during 12 months, if someone uh, is going to show, they're going to show, Right? And this is what, what happened here. So you have this betrothal period, but then you would have the wedding, and the betrothal would end gloriously. As the husband arrives, and the woman or the bride is presented as a beautiful virgin bride to her husband, they're married, and then they come together. It's a tremendous picture. It's a picture of what happens with us, also with, the, with Christ and the church. So Mary and Joseph had entered into this binding contract. They were betrothed. Now, this betrothal took place usually in the late teen years. Most likely, Mary was a young woman. We don't know her age. People like to guess her age. We don't know her age, but we know that from Scripture, she was a godly woman. She was a godly woman. Do you remember her response to the angel Gabriel's declaration that she would become, uh, she would be conceived by the Holy Spirit and bring forth the Savior? Hold your finger in Matthew and turn to Luke chapter one. Verse forty-six. This is her response to what the angel tells her. Luke chapter one, verse forty-six. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. If someone ever tells you that Mary was uh Mary sinless and she doesn't need a savior, no, that's not true. She says, uh, I rejoice in God, my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and in in his holy name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to his servant in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke as as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. Mary was a godly woman, and she did keep herself a virgin. She was a godly woman. Well, what do we know about Joseph? What do we know about him? Well, we know earlier in chapter one he's in the line of David. We know later on in Matthew thirteen fifty five that he was a carpenter. We know that they, him and Mary, were probably not that wealthy because when they brought their sacrifices, brought Jesus to the temple on the eighth day, they offered turtle doves, which meant they probably were not that wealthy. Luke chapter two twenty four. We also know they both came from Nazareth, which was not the most wealthy area of uh, of Israel, and we also know from our passage, which we'll see in a moment in verse nineteen, that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. So then, back in our passage, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. This is important. Joseph and Mary had not come together. It's extremely important that we see this. Mary was kept a virgin until after Jesus was born. And the Greek word here for virgin means virgin. We see that. We see that. Take a look back in Luke chapter 1 again. Turn there and let's go to verse 26. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, uh, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said, to are hail favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what type of kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's extremely important that we understand from our passage and what we just read that they had not come together. But then we have this statement, she was found to be with child. She was found to be with belly. Having a belly, you, you, she was showing. She was found to be showing. And obviously, she was with child. Now, we just read in the Gospel of Luke, and we understand that Mary had been informed previously that she would have a son that be conceived in her womb with the Holy Spirit. She was told that. But what about Joseph? What about Joseph? Now, historically speaking, those who were betrothed didn't spend all their waking moments together like uh, engaged people these days, right? Historically speaking, and we know uh, later in Luke, Joseph was nowhere to be seen when Mary visited Elizabeth. Not around in that situation. And that was her cousin Elizabeth. So Mary was informed before the conception by the angel Gabriel. But apparently Joseph didn't appear to have knowledge Unless Mary had told her. He might have shared with her. It's possible. Don't know. Don't know. We're not informed of that. But anyhow, this must have been extremely troubling for Joseph. Being a righteous man. You're betrothed to someone and they're showing? Wait a second. This is not, this is not good from a human perspective. Mary, what's going on here, Mary? How does this, how did this happen, Mary? Something's going on. Now, Mary told him, uh, maybe told what the angel shared, but bottom line, uh, she was found to be with child, and it was not his baby. Now, before we're tempted to jump to conclusions here, Matthew makes it clear, uh, the intent of this passage right away. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't by Joseph, it wasn't by any man that Mary was found to be with child, but by the Holy Spirit. And it's at this point we come to that which is hard for us to comprehend. It's glorious and wonderful, but it's too difficult for us to wrap our heads around. We need to take it by faith what God says and believe what he says. God says she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of the virgin conception of Jesus in the womb of a virgin and by means of the Holy Spirit. And from man's point of view, it's impossible But understand, with God, all things are possible. And God has not given us the information to figure it out. He's just given us information to say this is what happened. He has declared the truth for us to receive, and we're responsible to believe. Now, the virgin birth is a non-negotiable element of the Christian truth because it is the means in which God became flesh to save us from our sins. It's absolutely crucial to understand that. Now, there are many liberal, unbelieving denominations who say they believe in it, but in practice, they don't. They say it was a spiritual thing, not a real thing, or whatever it might be. We believe in it spiritually. Well, no, it says here, actually, physically. She was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. So back in our passage, surely Joseph was blindsided. Mary's pregnant, and he's not the father. He knows that, okay? So what happened? We don't have any revelation in Scripture that Joseph had been told anything up to this point. We have no revelation of that at all. But notice what happens. He's a righteous man who desires to do the right thing. Not many of those these days. Not many of those who will sacrifice their own desires and will to do what is right in the Lord's sight. He was a righteous man, as we'll say. And notice, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. Really, of the Holy Spirit, that's the way it is in the Greek. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her desire to put her away secretly. He had an agonizing dilemma. My wife is pregnant, and it's not mine. And it doesn't say that he's afraid about this, but evidently he must have been because the angel will say in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He's obviously troubled, as any man would be. I'm sure he was running the range of emotions that a man would discover his future wife is pregnant, okay? And it's not his baby. Probably absolutely shocked. Totally out of Mary's character. Completely out of her character. She's found to be a child. So what does, uh, uh, what happens? Notice, in Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desire to put her away secretly. Here we see Joseph, her husband, the betrothal, they were, they were husband and wife in the betrothal period, and being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. What a good guy. He's a good guy. Joseph's a godly man, he was a righteous man, and he evidently obeyed the Lord. Now we know that righteousness, and we know from the Old Testament that there are none righteous, not even one, but we know that through faith in Christ, or as they looked forward to Christ, faith in, in the seed of Abraham, they were given righteousness, God's righteousness, and then that would be manifest in their behavior, their behavior. He was a righteous man. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. She's, how can I marry her? She's violated the law and the the Jewish law. She's violated it. I got to do what God says. I got to do what God says. But he's a righteous man, but also he's a merciful man and not wanting to disgrace her desire to put her away secretly. There were two avenues for Joseph here right now to to, to take concerning the situation uh, as a righteous man. He could charge her publicly, and she'd be brought to trial and convicted and shamed publicly. Or the other possibility was to send her away, divorce her secretly, as we see in Deuteronomy 24, the provision, because of Israel's hardness of heart, provision, to send her away privately, giving a certificate of divorce, Deuteronomy 24. So what's the righteous response based on God's word? The righteous response would be, as our text says, to put her away. To, 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 to be loosed from her. Okay? And he was gonna do it graciously in compassion and love, not desiring to disgrace her. The term disgrace means to publicly shame. To publicly shame. But desire to put her away secretly. Joseph's a good guy and he's got a terribly troubling dilemma. Righteous man, but he's compassionate. Not wanting to disgrace or desire to put her way secretly. That's a good guy. So we've seen Joseph's initial response, but what is God's response to this? What was, what, what is, what is God's response to Joseph's planning and agonizing? Look at God's faithful intervention, verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So evidently, as Joseph is pondering, putting her away secretly, being a compassionate, righteous man, he falls asleep. And it says here, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He fell asleep and he's dreaming. And the Lord God, in contrast to righteous righteous desire, based on his limited information, sends uh, an angel to give him the straight scoop. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord, behold, that means look, take a look. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, we'll see that in a minute. Now, before we get into what the angel tells Joseph, we need to recognize, although this is in the context of a dream, the angel of the Lord does speak to him, It is not something Joseph is imagining. It's actually happening. The angel is speaking to him in the context of a dream. Now you might remember we saw this last week in Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. Before God's full revelation in Christ was revealed, he spoke in many portions and in many ways, and that included dreams as we see here. So we have the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph, praying to him in a dream. Now the term an angel of the Lord speaks of a messenger of the Lord. speaks of an angel. It's not the angel of the Lord speaking of the reincarnate Christ in the Old Testament. It's an angel, simply an angelic messenger, a messenger of the Lord. We see that they are those who who are ministering spirits to to render service to those who will inherit salvation, Hebrews chapter 2. So what's the message that the Lord has for Joseph through the angel? But when he had considered this, verse 20, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Notice the angel doesn't say, Joseph, you rotten sinner. It says, Joseph, son of David, son of David. He is in the line of David, and obviously his son, uh, through Mary, not physically, but through Mary, will be in the line to be the king and on the throne forever. And he would be and is. And so it's an interesting title. He's in the line of David. It entitles Jesus to be the king of the Jews. And that's why he said he was born. Certainly came, was came to save us from our sins. So right at the nick of time, the Lord intervened and stopped Joseph from his plans and tells him, don't fear, don't be afraid, don't fear. And I paraphrase, marry, Mary, okay? Go ahead and marry, Mary." And on a side note, I find this incredibly encouraging as I look at it, as I'm reminded about this passage for, for believers. Joseph's a righteous man. He's acting righteously and compassionately with limited biblical knowledge. And God intervenes at the right time to give him more revelation so that he would do his will. I found it wonderful. You see, when we trust the Lord, you plan your way according to what you know from the Word. And you trust Him. You step out in faith. And God is faithful to, to give you more insight and wisdom from His Word to direct your path. Right at the right time, you can trust Him. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs sixteen nine. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. God is faithful. If you're trusting him and you don't know what to do and you're stepping out in faith, he's going to direct you. And this example with Joseph, he's not sure and he's stepping out in the right way biblically, but God is going to direct him in, the, in a new way based on more understanding and Revelation found that very encouraging. Joseph's obeying the word, and God intervened and directed him. You're obeying the word? Trust the Lord. He's going to direct your path. He's going to direct your path. Don't worry about it. He's going to direct you. So then right in the nick of time, the Lord God intervenes and stops Joseph, said through the angel, saying, don't fear, but marry Mary. And then he explains why. In the middle of verse uh, 24, that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. What's the reason why he's to marry Mary not to be afraid to do so? Two reasons. First of all, for that, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Simple explanation. The child is not of Joseph or any man, but of God. It's of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no explanation of how this works. It's a God thing. And God wants us to know the simple truth for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is the means in which the eternal Son of God took on human flesh. This is the means it's by the Holy Spirit and you might remember we saw in Luke chapter one. you can turn there again that uh, the the uh angel uh, Gabriel explains to Mary the process of what's going to happen here she hasn't hasn't conceived yet been Christ hasn't been conceived by the Spirit yet, but this is what's gonna happen. Luke chapter 131, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. Luke 132, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God, most high, and the Lord God will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's a good question, right? How should this be? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this, that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God or God the Son. Because it's of God, it is God as we're going to see. The Holy Spirit brought about the incarnation, this fabulous thing, in which God the Son, uh, we have three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Son, existing eternally as God, came and took on human flesh. Came and he took on human flesh. It's amazing. The Holy Awesome shall be called the Son of God. Because this Mary, your son will be called God. John 1.1, 1, 1, we read it earlier. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw in Colossians 1.19 in our study that for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In bodily form. So then we have at the end of verse 20 with the affirmation that the virgin conception, by the way, that's what it is, is the means in which God took on human flesh. It's the way. It was not through any man, but by the Holy Spirit. And folks, as we're going to see, it's no mere man who saves. I heard a radio guy talking about Jesus. He's basically saying, oh, he's not God, he's a man. Well, no, that's not true. He's God who took on human flesh. It is not a man who saves. It is the God-man who saves. It is God who took on human flesh. It is Jesus Christ, the God-man, who indeed, is indeed the Savior of the world. And I find this marvelous, as we'll see later on, but uh, uh, that God would not leave us where we're at. Did uh, we tell Adam what to do? Adam did it, and we're kind of stuck with this sin thing, aren't we? And then we all voted in with our own actions, don't we? We were sinners because of Adam, and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God would not leave us in this place to judge us for our sin. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and he died for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. So then, uh, there might be those who deny the virgin conception and thus birth, and those are those who don't hear his voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And if you're willing to humble yourself and acknowledge it's God's word, you'll hear him. He speaks to us through his word, and we see this is what happened. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and then verse 21, back in our passage, chapter 1, and she will bear a son. Jesus was literally born from a woman, just like you and I. Just like you and I. We have uh, the truth that when the fullness of time came, Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Born of a woman. We have an interesting uh, discussion in Hebrews chapter 10. You can turn or you can listen to it. We have an interesting discussion between the Father and the Son about taking on a body. It's quite amazing. It's quite amazing that uh, this discussion that we are privy to, it says we're hearing the counsels in heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. It's an amazing portion. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that speaks of Jesus Christ, he says sacrifice an offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Wow. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin that was taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the role of the book of the law or in the role of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. He came to do his God's will, he took on human flesh. We see later in verse ten, by this will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Tremendous. Tremendous reality. God taking on human flesh. This is what Christmas is about. God taking on human flesh, as we will see, to save us from our sins. Notice back in our passage, verse 21, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You're going to name him Jesus. Now, as I mentioned before, the term Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. It means the Lord, the I am, is salvation. Isn't that great? When you think of the name Jesus, think of it, the self-existent one is salvation. It's Jesus. We know the term Yahweh. Yahweh is salvation, is the first person uh, tense of the verb to be, I am. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is speaking to the Lord, and Moses is saying, who am I going to tell the people who his name is? And God says, uh, uh, Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh, I am who I am. It speaks of self-existence, it points to deity, it's speaking of God. I am is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. The name Jesus means. So then, we see here, he is salvation, and that's the significance. Notice he says here in verse 21, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name the Lord of salvation, or Jesus. And notice why this is so important. Why? For. And if you see a four, he's explaining something. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. That's the reason. That's the reason. That's the reason why God took on human flesh. That's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. For he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, you're to call your son the Lord of salvation because he is the Lord, the one who will save his people from their sins. You're to call him the Lord of salvation. And God is so gracious, and I mentioned this earlier, not to leave us in our sinful state. You know, we were born in sin because of Adam. And yet we all sin for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Sin causes separation between us and God. And God being righteous must judge sin. But yet he is also not only righteous, he is compassionate and loving. And so he sent his own son in the place of us. So Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's all the sacrifices pointed to him. He went to the cross and he died for our sins. He bore our sins by the cross and God was satisfied pouring his wrath out on him. And because he was sinless by the Lamb of God who took our sins and died, being God, he was raised from the dead because God accepted his sacrifice. And therefore, we can have forgiveness of sins. Our God is gracious. It's through Jesus because of what he did. You might remember uh, back in Genesis 22 that uh, Abraham is to sacrifice Isaac. And then at the last minute, God provided a substitute. You see, Jesus is our substitute. He took our place. You see, you'll bear your sins if you die. But if you turn to Christ, whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have everlasting life. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. That means the satisfaction. You can try to do all you want for God; it's not going to do anything. He satisfies God's wrath for sin, and not only for ours, but for also for those of the whole world. First John two two. Acts four four ten. Uh, Peter says, "Let it be known to all of you and the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands here in good health. This man was 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 healed." He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is through Jesus Christ that we are saved. There's none righteous, not even one, but you can have the righteousness of Christ through faith in him. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to be like a child, Child, Children believe what people tell them. And God is telling us the truth, but we need to be like a child to believe the truth that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I've sinned, Lord God. Forgive me of my sin. I believe your son died for my sins and rose from the dead. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, God makes it clear in Ezekiel eighteen four: behold, all souls are mine. He owns us. He made us. The soul of the father and the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sins will die but we can have life in Jesus Christ. We can have life in him. We can escape eternal judgment. You know, the hell was not prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. It is only those who go there who reject the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation that you can have today. So then, you shall says, you'll bear a son, you shall call, she and she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Do you want to be saved from your sins? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God, that's what that word means through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Free gift. It's given to you today. You can have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So then, have you believed in the Jesus of Scripture? Have you believed in the Son of God who took on human flesh and died for your sins and rose from the dead? So then, we've seen Joseph's dilemma. He's betrothed to Mary, who is pregnant, found to be with a child. He's being righteous and, and, and a merciful man, desires to put her away secretly. An angel of God interferes, or intervenes, not interferes, but intervenes, and commands him to take Mary as his wife, because the child is of the Holy Spirit, he is God. This child is God who will become flesh, and you shall name him Jesus, because he is the Lord who saves, the one who saves us from our sins. All the Old Testament points to this sacrifice, and we look back to it now, what he's done for us. And now, as we finish up here, notice we have an explanation. We have an explanation, it's prophecy fulfilled. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place that by, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. It's quite marvelous here. Notice it all took place. That's the, that's That's what happened. The birth of Jesus Christ is as follows. This all took place uh that what was spoken by the Lord, the prophet. Notice the prophets didn't speak in their own. The Lord spoke through them. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. We know from Second Peter one twenty that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the, the or was never, for no prophet was ever an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so then Here's the prophecy. It's a quote of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall be a child. She shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And in Isaiah 7, 14, I'll read this for you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be a child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So here we have uh, Matthew inspired by the Spirit quoting Isaiah 7:14. But notice, it says, she shall call his name Emmanuel, certainly speaking of, of of Mary back in Isaiah. But here, the Spirit of God has taken the liberty to expand our understanding. It says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, prophecy over and over again uh, spoke of the birth and the the death of Jesus Christ. The suffering for the glories to follow pointed to what Jesus would do. And these prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. Over and over again, fulfilled in Christ. In Luke chapter 24, you can turn there, you can listen to me. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's walking with these disciples who are dejected, walking away, and he's 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 shielded them from seeing his true identity. And he says to them, Luke 24, Oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It all points to Jesus. So we have this portion: the virgin shall shall bear a son, right? The prophecy, and the second portion here, we have that uh, you, that this has all been fulfilled, so that this would be true, and they shall. And this fulfillment would would happen. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now we don't have anybody anywhere in scripture other than back in in um in Isaiah and here, calling anyone Jesus Emmanuel. You won't find any account of anyone saying, Emmanuel's come. You won't find any account of that anywhere. So what are they talking about? They will call him Emmanuel. Who is the they here? Well, I'm I'm not sure who it is, but I know who it isn't. It's not unbelievers, for God's not with them. God's word says they're separate from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. We know that. No matter what you think, if you're still in your sins, you're separate from God. The wages of sin is death, that blocks your relationship with Him. And there is the second death, the eternal punishment lake of fire. So who is the they shall call Emmanuel which translated as God with us? I think uh, it's not simply speaking of just the incarnation alone, it's speaking of the result of the incarnation. Because Jesus came and took on human flesh and died for our sins, they shall call his name, Emmanuel, as translated, God with us. You see, it's only through his sacrificial death that we have a relationship with the living God, that God is with us. He's not with those who are still in their sins, but he wants to be with you. He beckons you to turn to believe that you would have a relationship with him. We know that he is with believers to the end, Matthew uh, 28 below i'm with you even to the end of the age we know hebrews chapter 13 he will never leave us nor forsake us no matter how you feel when you come to faith in christ you have his spirit within you You have you have a relationship with him forever he will never leave you He'll never leave you is god with us because of what jesus did we have god with us so my question is is god with you is god with you or are you separate from him? Do you have hope? Or are you in your sins? There's good news. Jesus took on human flesh to die for your sins. And if you turn to him, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So notice as we finish, Joseph obeys. What an example here. Verse 24 And Joseph arose from his sleep and did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife. And kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph's a good guy. He's a good guy. In the midst of this great trial, he is given information from the angel in the dream. He's betrothed to Mary, she's pregnant, he's righteous, merciful, considers divorcing her, and then the Lord tells him what to do. And what does he do? Exactly what he said. Does Joseph go call someone and say, I need a rabbi, a pastor, or someone to help with the situation to figure this out? No, he just does what God says. does what God says. Very little revelation compared to what we have, and he's obedient to it. And Joseph arose from his sleep. This seems like it's boom, boom, boom. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And took her as his wife. He didn't put her away. And kept her a virgin till she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He obeyed. I'm amazed at the obedience of God's people in scripture who had so little revelation, so little truth, and yet we have so much truth and we're so disobedient. It always grieves me at times when people come to me concerning issues in their lives and don't, don't not come, but they'll be willing to hear the, the word of God, but they're unwilling to obey the clear commands of scripture, the clear stuff. They got all kinds of issues and just, just, Turn and obey. Confess your sin and obey these clear commands. Joseph wasn't like that. He didn't go away saying, I really need to understand this virgin of birth before I can do this. He just did what God said. We can learn from this, from the righteous uh, humility of Joseph. A sinful man saved by the grace of God like you and I. So then we've seen Joseph's dilemma, it's not his baby. Mary's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and Joseph desired to righteously put her away, but God intervened. And pointing out the great truth that God has taken on human flesh in Mary's womb. Don't fear, but marry her because he's taken on human flesh to save his people from their sins. And this is going to happen that uh, the scripture be fulfilled. that You call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. So based on what we've heard today, can you say God is with you? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness to the Lord, not to me, not to some priest, not to anyone else, but to the Lord? Lord, I'm a sinner, and I believe your son died for my sins. Save me. If you do that, you're saved. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then for those of us who have been graciously saved by his merciful grace, uh, we now have a relationship with the living God where he will never leave us, never forsake us. Sometimes we get lonely. It's lonely up there at times as a Christian. I tell you, it's a desert at times. You do the right thing, you may not have a lot of friends, especially your youth, you may, you may not have a lot of friends. It's lonely, but God will never leave you, nor forsake you. He is with you. So, is God with you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you did, sending your son Jesus. I thank you that he willingly came, took on human flesh, and that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, and that he died and he rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord God, for your son Jesus. And I pray for anyone who's not saved, they would be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are, that we would rejoice in our relationship with you because you are with us because of Jesus. May we be ready to share this truth this Christmas season to those who need to hear it so desperately. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.